You're listening to Beer Talk Today with your hosts Kyle Brown, Matt Lang, and John Nodler. Hi, everybody. It is Beer Talk Today here on this lovely Tuesday evening. A bittersweet Beer Talk Today for it is our final uh, show officially scheduled at the WSUM station here. Like bittersweet chocolate? It's a lot like bittersweet yeah. chocolate. But, but um, we're welcoming in a new face in the Madison beer scene, I think. That's right. So it's, 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 a, it's an end and a beginning in a sense, right? Poetry. <laughs> That's right. We do have on the show tonight a lovely in-studio interview with uh, Joe Waltz. Um, what would be your official title of your not yet existent uh, business? Uh, it's it's uh, Republic Brew Pub is the name of it. Right. What would your title be? Are you oh, the president, the brewmaster, the, the owner? The overlord, I guess. Overlord. <laughs> Joe Waltz, overlord of Republic yeah, Brew Pub. I'm, I'm the brewer. Brewer. All right. Cool. Excellent. Um, yes, Joe's starting a brew pub, and we've got all sorts of things to talk to him about uh, about that. But, um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. exciting, because I don't exciting. think we've, we've talked to a brewer. We've talked to a... A hop grower. We've talked to a bar master. You know, of all these things. Yeah, editor of magazines. A bar master? What is that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> kind of ran out of things to say. Have we talked to, <laughs> we, 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 we talk to distillers. <laughs> we're going to talk to someone yeah. before they've started their we, business. Is, is that so what you're saying? Yeah, that's, yes. where, that's where I was going. Right, huh. I got you. Yeah. It is pretty exciting. So this is, this is really cool. And, and I would like to say before we get uh, into it that, yes, for those of you who, um, who usually listen to our show on the interweb, uh, via our blog or the, the Madison Beer Review site. That stuff is still going to be up there. We're still going to be doing new stuff on the podcast. We just won't be on the Tuesday night uh, live broadcast anymore. So mm-hmm. exciting. But John, take it away. So, all right. I guess uh start off this interview. Joe, you ready? Uh, ready yeah, for some hardball? I'm going to be here. All right. <laughs> all right first question. Um, well, <laughs> first question. How did you get into brewing? Uh, probably like most professional brewers, I started doing it at home. Um, <clears throat> yeah, right out of college, pretty much. I uh, I bought my stepdad a homebrew kit, and while I was buying it, I was like, you know, I might as well buy one for myself. <laughs> uh, had a nice. buddy in college who was brewing, and never really made the connection to do it myself until until I went and bought him that present, and he never used it, and I got hooked. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the end of it. Cool. And then, so what was the first beer you brewed? It was. It, it kind of depends on what you count. Um, <laughs> it was an amber ale, but it didn't make it to completion. I, okay. uh, I had it in a uh, five-gallon bucket to ferment, and I followed the instructions on the kit. Uh-huh. Uh, didn't really talk much about sanitation. All it said was, <laughs> when you pitch the yeast, make sure it's below 95 degrees. So it was pretty hot. <laughs> Airlock got plugged. I got up the next morning, and there was like a bubble. The dome of the bucket was like four inches higher than it should have been, and I went to go release the pressure by kind of cracking it, and it was like... <laughs> Oh geez. I was like, this one's dead. I saw the fruit on top and I thought it was over, so I just dumped it. <laughs> <laughs> so you pitched the yeast at about 90 degrees? I'd say so, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, dry, dry yeast, just dump the packet straight in. Nice. Oops. And then what All was right. the first beer that you successfully <laughs> brewed? It was another amber ale. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, because I'm kind of anal like that. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start where I left off and figure just out what the variables are that went wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> Read a little bit more about the, the process. Yeah, found uh, John Palmer's book and that was There you huge. go. So. Okay. And then I guess what uh how did you get into your first brewery job and what was that job? Uh it's JT Whitney's. Okay, great. I was uh I was living in Michigan. I was working as an engineer and my wife was going back to school to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um this would have been 2005. 
um, and nurses were in really high demand. So basically, we got to just pick where we wanted to live, and she grew up here. So, you know, we ended up here. I quit my engineering job. She started her job, and I started looking for brewing work. So okay. I just I went all over town and dropped off applications and resumes at, at every brewery around, and Whitney's is <laughs> the one that got back to me. That's great. And then shortly after that, you did a short stint at Siebel, correct? Yep. And what, what were you doing there? Uh, taking their two-week concise course. Okay. Um, and I'd been, I signed up for that before I got the job at Whitney's, but, you know, the timing of the course just ended up after I started. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it was kind of like a two-week sabbatical where, you know, I got hired and I was like, yeah, I'd love to take this job, but in two months I'm going to be gone for two weeks. All right, that's fine. So <laughs> <laughs> worked out well. Yeah, that's great. So then after Siebel, was your role at Whitney's changed when you came back? Because... No, no, it was exactly the same. Um, and, and right off the bat, I mean, you know, working for Rich was really nice because he gave me a ton of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as soon as I was up to speed, he was letting me, you know, do everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I kind of started off and I sort of followed him around and, and wrote down, you know, notes based on what he was doing. Okay. Um, but within, you know, about a month, I was brewing my own badges and everything like that. So I was actually wow. doing that before I went to Siebel. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, it worked out awesome. I thought I was going to be scrubbing floors and cleaning kegs and nothing else. Uh-huh, so. But they gave you, like, pretty much complete liberty to do whatever you wanted uh, once you got the knowledge? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, the routine we were in was, was Rich would, you know, set the schedule. He'd do kind of the administrative tax stuff, and he'd pretty much tell me, have at it. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I got to do a ton. That's cool. What were some of the interesting beers that you brewed there? Ooh. Some of your favorites, I guess. I did. The, the first recipe I ever did uh, in a professional brewery was uh, a beer to guard. I did a winter beer to guard. Um, mm-hmm. And I had just read the uh, Farmhouse Ales book. I think uh, I think Phil Markowski wrote it, but I'm not sure. I think that's right. Um, yeah. yeah, and so I was like, okay, cool. I can take all this information that I just sort of digested and, and try to make a, make a beer out of it. And it ended up being a really nice beer. You know, it wasn't anything that reminded me of, of having any farmhouse character. But, mm-hmm. you know, it came out around Christmas time and it was strong and it was dark and it did the <laughs> job. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. And then, so how long were you at JT Whitney's then? About a year and a half. And then after that, you oh. went to Otter Creek, correct? Yep, out in Vermont. And, mm-hmm. you know, at, at that time, after, after being at Whitney's for about a year, I, you know, kind of decided okay, I'm in love with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's always an issue when you turn your hobby into a job. Is it going to kind of become something you don't want to do? And, and the answer was definitely no. Um, the problem was, you know, being at Whitney's, you know, I got all the responsibility I wanted, you know, uh, process control, not really, but, you know, they, they had solid processes and that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the pay was terrible. Um, <laughs> there, there's no way around that. I mean, if I, you know, going to support my family, I got to gotta get a better paying job. And so I'd started to think about about opening my own business at that point, you know, okay. and, and my rationale was kind of, I want to be a brewer, you know, I want to be in control of the process. I want to make a decent living. You know, I, I don't need a lot of money. I just, you know, don't need to make a killing, but, you know, got to get paid and I want to stay in Madison. And so to kind of satisfy those three criteria, you know, it, it all kind of led towards open a business. Okay. Um, you know, because if you look at the places around town, I mean, all, all their brewers are, are totally established, you know, Great Dane. I'm not going to be replacing Rob Labreglio anytime soon. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be replacing Rich. Well, never mind that. Really, you know, when he's as close, but mm-hmm. you know, there isn't a brewery in town that you know whose brewmaster isn't there isn't part and, and isn't going to be there <laughs> for the next ten or twenty years. Right. Um, so it's kind of like open my own business. So, so at the time, I was thinking that I wanted to do a bottling brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do the whole distribution thing. And so when the job at Outer Creek came up, I saw the posting. They were like, "We're looking for." a temporary brewer to come in and work for 10 months. 
Mm-hmm. And and I was like, that's just perfect because I you know I knew I wanted to end up back here, and, and my options you know at the time were just to find a job and, and walk away after a year or two, and you know probably burn some bridges in the process. I you know there was a job opening for Victory, and I would have loved to go work out there, but you know it it was for a permanent job. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Otter Creek it was like sweet jump on it, and mm-hmm. it worked out really well for them because everybody else who applied for the job was thinking I'm going to get my foot in the door somewhere. And I told them flat out, I'm like, I want to come and I want to leave. And they're like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they were looking for. So, so that's what, what that was all about, was basically getting, I wanted to get more education in how bottling breweries run. Mm-hmm. You know, and so being out there, I mean, it was a, it was a cool job, um, but it's definitely much more factory-like. Okay. You know, and it's sort of driven by the, the economics of a, of a distributing brewery. Okay. So, you know, when I, after I'd been out there for a couple of months, I'm like, this is cool. I'm still brewing, but it's a lot more fun to work in a pub. Mm-hmm. You know, working in a pub is kind of like homebrewing on a big scale. And mm-hmm. working in a, a big production brewery is kind of like being on an assembly line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the warp just passes through you. Right. <laughs> so then since you've been back in Wisconsin, what have you been up to? Just thinking about Republic Lot or? I've, I've been doing this full time. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, doing all the research, writing the business plan, kind of getting the projections and all that stuff down. Um, it's been taking a lot longer than I expected it to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and every everything I've been doing, you know, has, has been necessary. But, yeah, it's definitely, definitely been taking some time. Um, my wife deserves a huge uh, shout-out <laughs> for supporting me while I do this because, you know, if she wasn't, if she wasn't helping out, I'd, I'd definitely have found a job by now. So, <laughs> and, and that's one of the things I kind of regret. I mean, I wish I would have you know, come back, got a brewing job right away, and then sort of work on this part-time until I'm at a point where I'm ready to jump, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Well, you know, first question I want to know, um, how easy is it for me to brew a beer and sell it legally? It's just at the bare minimum. It's, I think it's pretty tough because, you know, in Wisconsin, I think you need a commercial space. Um, if you have your commercial space, you know, I... I think you're going to have to, you know, jump jump through some legal hoops. But at that point, it shouldn't be that difficult. I mean, it's not, you're not going to be profitable. You know, it's, it's going to be a labor of love kind of thing. But you should be able to apply for a brewer's license and get it. You know, just don't expect to have a tap room in uh, the city of Madison unless you're a restaurant. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, go outside of town and you might have an easier time. And so then kind of scaling up to kind of what you're going after is obviously there's got to be a lot more legal hoops to jump through a lot more you know litigations just applications for fees and licenses and things like that have you found that it's it was a lot more than what you initially thought um you know i when i was looking into it for for madison i don't i don't know if you guys are aware but i was originally hoping to be kind of in the atwood area mm-hmm. um and i was really surprised by how much you know stuff i had to had to go through but now that we found our location out in sun prairie you know the the city Sun Prairie makes it really easy. I mean, I went in and I talked to the city clerk and she's like, you got to do this, 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 and this, and talk to this person and talk to this person, the, the planning uh, director and the building inspector. And that's pretty much it. You know, most of my applications right now are going to be, are going to be for funding. You know, mm-hmm. I'm looking at TIF money out there and a revolving loan and facade grant type stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that's sort of what I'm, what I'm focusing on. But the liquor license stuff, you know, I, I think getting the applications in isn't, going to be nearly as bad as you know kind of going through you know the bureaucratic steps Mm -hmm. um which they i mean for the for the uh conditional use permit which will allow me to have a a restaurant where i'm at 
you know, they gave me a schedule. They're like, you know, here are all the dates that you can apply. You know, here's the next action of all the dates. It was like a big matrix, you know, that I follow through this series of like six dates up until like, you know, newspaper notices, public hearing, stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. all kind of laid out for me, mm-hmm. you know, so that's not bad. As far as the, the state government and federal government go, I, I don't know yet how that's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they're definitely more vague and mysterious. But So then in the downtown area, is it pretty much like just the oversaturation in the area that makes it so difficult to open a place like this or you know the the city council passed i i don't know what you'd call it a resolution an ordinance i'm not sure what um but they limited the number of liquor licenses both mm-hmm. both downtown and on campus um and i'm happy to go on record and say that's a really stupid idea because you've got a college here and you've got a certain number of kids that are going to go out drinking mm-hmm. you know regardless of how many bars there are so let's pack them into a more dense area and see right. if that'll reduce the number of fights um, but you know that, that's the reality. There Thank are, you for saying that. There, there are fewer liquor licenses. You, you know, there there aren't fewer right now. But basically, if a if a business goes under, you know, that liquor license gets taken out of circulation. So unless mm-hmm. I would be able to, you know, take over a a license seamlessly from an existing business, you know, I don't think I could physically go downtown. Now, if that wasn't the case, you know, they passed they the city council passed another resolution that says you know, liquor licenses in the downtown area, you know, and the campus area as well, you know, have to be a bona fide restaurant, Mm -hmm. meaning they're, you know, over 50% of the revenue has to be food. Um, So, so that's where the issue comes into play with the new brew pub law mandating that a brew pub be a restaurant. You know, if you're in downtown Madison, that means 50% of your revenue or more has to be food. And Mm -hmm. and that's a pain, you know, Mm -hmm. outside of of Madison, it's not that big of an issue. Even outside of downtown, it's not that big of an issue. Um, Although, I, I would expect in about 10 years' time, you know, that that's just me pulling a number out of the air. Mm-hmm. I, I think the whole city will be kind of operating that way. Yeah. Well, um, any other sort of, like, legal things? And one of them I, I saw reading on your blog, uh, you mentioned this potential Assembly Bill 67, mm-hmm. which was an interesting one, which, if I understand it right, um, you get three strikes and you're out if your bartender is, has any alcohol at all. Yes. And hopefully what it seems like is that's not going to go through, but um, any other types of things like that that could just totally shut down, you know, kind of the, the dream and the operation of a brew pub? I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I think that one was kind of a big red flag, and I think it kind of fell under the radar of a lot of people. Um, I saw it, and I don't even remember where I got the first notice from. It might have been from the Tavern League, but I'm not sure because mm-hmm. they weren't there at that hearing, and, and mm-hmm. they, you know, they tend to be all over that stuff. Um, you know, but I wrote my representative and, you know, kind of told him my thoughts about it. And he asked me if I wanted to come and, and give testimony when, you know, that the hearing came up. This was back in like February. Mm-hmm. And and I told him probably not. You know, I'm not actually running a bar. I don't want to do a disservice to, you know, breweries, you know, pubs, things like that. But I went down to the hearing anyway. I just I got the notice the day before the hearing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that was his fault. I think they scheduled it the day before whoever whoever schedules those things and it was just a big scramble like oh here's the hearing and and i don't know if you know that was intentional or not but even the guy that wrote the bill was was taken off guard by how quick the hearing came up you know Mm -hmm. suddenly so you know when i when i went down there you know i i actually talked with the the uh legislator who who wrote the wrote the bill and he was like you know it's not my intent to create kind of a prohibitionist thing you know and he was in the process of actually talking with a bunch of people throughout, you know, the industry that would be affected by it and, you know, people in the public that would be affected by it, pretty much every stakeholder, you know, out there, but hadn't really got resolution yet. So it was like this draft of a bill being brought before and, 
you know, a, a few of us got up. I, I got up there and uh, Bill from the Malt House got up there. A couple from Wollersheim got up there and Brewers Guild, with, uh, Carl Nolan from Capital came on down and, you know, we all set our piece and, you know, it pretty much just, there wasn't a whole lot of debate about it. It was basically, okay, we've got a lot more work to do. You know, what, what their real intent is, is, is trying to find something from the supplier side of things, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to basically regulate drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you guys have talked about this with Jeff, you know, as far as dram shop laws and stuff like that. And, you know, they, there's always talk about what you can do on the enforcement side. And they're just, mm-hmm. they're, they're basically brainstorming. They're saying, mm-hmm. what can we do on the supply side? You know, so they're going to send it back, and I think they're going to take out that zero tolerance thing because we're like, you know, we're running a brew pub. We're we've got beers that you can't get anywhere else. You know, the only way the servers are going to know how to describe the beers are to come here, you know, and and taste them before they work. Mm-hmm. You know, set set the you know alcohol limit at the driving limit or something like that. Right. You know, there's definitely a middle ground that can be reached. It's not it wasn't a standoffish situation at all. Mm-hmm. So and and that's what I was expecting. You know, given the way that these laws have been passed lately, I kind of expected to go in and be sort of screaming and hoping somebody was listening <laughs> that wasn't the case. <laughs> uh, you know, you had um, <clears throat> mentioned a few times about uh, originally looking in Madison and now you've settled in Sun Prairie. Mm-hmm. Um, besides just some of the legal laws and, you know, what has kind of led you to th- to go to Sun Prairie? Is it, do you still feel that you're going to be able to find the same, you know, market? You know, location is always a big thing for a brew pub and um, this overall cost too i would imagine it's got to be cheaper than trying to go downtown the the cost of going in sun prairie is definitely cheaper um and i think the market's there you know not because you know sun prairie is as big as madison because it's obviously not but you know because we'd be the first you know the mm-hmm. the city's been trying to get a brew pub down there for a long time they they had talked to great dane at some point about going down there you know and it didn't happen um, but it's something they've been working on for years and i think you know i think the population is there i mean one of the things that that sort of amazed me when we moved to town, I started to meet Rachel's coworkers and, you know, working as uh, nurses at Meritor, a lot of them lived out in Sun Prairie. And the reason why is because they just graduated from college and, you know, you move out there, you can buy twice the house that you can in Madison. And it's sort mm-hmm. of, you know, it's a trade off. What do you want? Are you going for the house? Are you going for the city atmosphere? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the point is there are a lot of, of sort of young professionals moving to Sun Prairie. I mean, they're kind of experiencing a population growth and I think that's what's driving it. You know, so there are definitely, you know, people down there that, if they're not already craft beer drinkers, they're the types of people that, you know, typically become craft beer drinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to be totally honest, the real reason we're going to Sun Prairie is because the city offered us money. I mean, oh, we, wow. yeah, I mean, back in, back in May, you know, we, we had set this deadline as far as raising money. And, you know, our, our goal was to have raised enough equity capital to be able to go to the bank. A, a bank will typically loan you, you know, at the most three quarters of, you know, the project cost. Um, and the more money you have, the more money they're likely to loan you, you know, the, le- the less you need them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, by the end of May, we were like, okay, we want to have enough money to go to the bank. We weren't even close. Um, that was the point that we were going to walk away and, you know, cut our losses, move on with our lives. And a couple weeks before that deadline came up, we started talking with uh, the economic development coordinator, Sun Prairie. And he's like, he's like, don't walk away yet. You know, we've got TIF money. We've got revolving loan money. You know, they, it, it's a pretty substantial chunk you know, of what we're going for as far as the equity side of things goes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we kind of reevaluated and we're like, okay, you know, finances are going to be tight over the next few months, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's too good of a chance to walk away from. So, mm-hmm. and so that's when we started looking for locations in Sun Prairie. You know, we hadn't, hadn't committed to anything at that point, but, you know, it basically became either we can go to Sun Prairie with the help of them, you know, with their financial help or 
I get a job. You right. know, that was basically the decision. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is the location now? Um, it's the former uh, auto repair center. It's called Acme Automotive. I believe it hasn't you know, been in operation for about two years. I, I think the business moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, about a 3,900-square-foot building, and it's just a big – you know, the front of it actually looks like looks like residential housing because this thing was built in the 30s so it's got like this stone facade oh wow you know this kind of irregular stone looking facade um and then behind it is just a big square on a slab of concrete so you know you walk in it it just screams brewery Uh you know and we'll turn a small part of it into a brewery and the rest of it into a pub but it's got these two uh big garage doors in the front that we're thinking we can open up in the summer to you know out into kind of a fenced area right in front oh nice um yeah so you know it's basically you know, as far as as far as finding you know a place that's kind of suitable for a brewery, I mean, the the best thing that you can do is find a place that was already a brewery or a restaurant. And I hadn't really had any luck doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the next best thing you can find is an empty shell, because if you have to find a place that needs demolition, then you know you're you're spending a lot of money for that. And so so this is basically an empty shell facility. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not much in there. All right. Well, my last question um, focuses on the equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, you're really in the early stages, but have you started to kind of plan out your whole brewing setup and yep. what you're going to have? <laughs> yep. How fun is that <laughs> to do? Because that's just like, for me, I would just like have gadgets and lights and switches and control units everywhere <laughs> and sensors. And, but you know, at what point do you have to like cut costs just because of limited budgets and you're starting out? Like, I, I'm trying to keep them as low as I possibly can, mm-hmm. you know, but, but at the same time, you know, I, I needed to budget, you know, at the very least for new equipment, mm-hmm. just because the, the used equipment market, that, that's what I plan on doing is buying used equipment, you know, but that market is really, really fluid right now. I mean, if you see something mm-hmm. posted on like probrewer.com, it's, it's gone within days, you know, so, you know, I, I can't say, oh, I'll get that, you know, brew house for $20,000 and come back three months later and buy it. Um, so, so pretty much I, I planned it from a logistic standpoint. You know, I haven't really gotten to the nitty-gritty. I want, you know, this particular vessel. I want this kind of control system and whatnot. But I, I sort of, you know, did it from a perspective of what kind of revenue am I going to make? How much beer is that, you know, results from that? How much beer do I have to make? You know, I, I kind of went through from the recipe side. I went in a lot of detail, you know, planning out all the recipes I hope to brew, you know, for mm-hmm. the first year. Um, fermentation times and then from there you know fermentation capacity and stuff like that so mm-hmm. what is the uh, if you don't mind sharing the expected mm-hmm. volume that you're going to try to I'm I'm thinking I'll probably be around 350 barrels a year wow um, so yeah it's, pr- it's going to be a pretty small operation I mean what I'm what I'm really hoping to do is just have a small neighborhood pub you know mm-hmm. that happens to brew its own beers mm-hmm. is kind of the goal you know definitely not anything of great magnitude mm-hmm. so very cool. And I was going to ask you about, so uh, we mentioned the name is mm-hmm. Republic. That sort of has uh, has to do with what you talked about. Can you explain what the impetus for that name is? Yeah, where, where this kind of came from, I when I was brewing out in Vermont, there's a, uh, a brew pub out there called American Flatbread, and it's a it's a pizza restaurant. You can actually buy their flatbreads in the co-op <laughs> awesome. um, at the at the Willie Street co-op here in the frozen oh, really? food section. But uh, yeah, so they had, a, they had a restaurant down there in Vermont, and a couple guys open another one and talk the the organization into putting a brewery in it. Um, so this like guy, pizza port. Yeah. So <laughs> so this guy Paul Sailor, you know, is the the part owner slash brewer of this place, and he gave me this book to read. It's called The Great Good Place. It's written by a sociologist named uh, I think it's Ray Oldenburg. I'm not positive. Um, and he's talking about how you know basically you got home is 
the first place work as the second place and you know these public gathering places are, are called third places mm. and he's listing all these cultures that that have these you know third places pubs in london coffee shops in austria beer halls in germany cafes in, in paris um in the 1950s you know barbershops and drugstores here you know places the community would just kind of informally congregate and sort of suburban expansion and and things of that nature sort of drove that out of our culture um, and so what I'm hoping to do is, is sort of bring that kind of atmosphere back by putting a pub in an area with a neighborhood where a lot of people can walk to it, you know, and, and it's going to be right in downtown Sun Prairie. And they're sort of building a lot of, you know, they're, they're kind of incorporating a lot of residential into that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm hoping to have a place that, you know, is less driven by, you know, buy, buy, buy and more driven by just come down and hang out, you know, mm-hmm. stop by here after work or, you know, whatever, you know, no pressure kind of thing. Hopefully you'll see somebody, you know. You know, and that's sort of, you know, that's sort of in and out of, of people in the neighborhood is what kind of drives that. So, you know, the name specifically refers to to the British public public house. Um, and, and we're kind of we're trying to recreate its societal function, but not necessarily its aesthetic. You know, we don't want to just brew English beers or mm-hmm. have it look like an English pub. But, you know, we want it to serve that same role. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And so you do feel that the uh, the site you picked in Sun Prairie is still a good spot for that as opposed to sort of like the Atwood area you're looking at originally? You know, I, I think it's close. You know, it's a compromise, but it's not much of one. That's Wait, just the lights okay. right. the, the power is still on. You know, and, and so, you know, <laughs> when it kind of became evident that we weren't going to find a place in Atwood, you know, we sort of started branching out in Madison. Mm-hmm. And the place we found in Sun Prairie is, has more of a neighborhood feel than anywhere else we found in Madison. You really? know, we were looking on the north side. We were looking, you know, a little bit on a little bit on the south side, um, but primarily northeast. Um, yeah, and, and everything else was, was kind of, you got to get in your car and drive to this place. There's locations and sort of strip malls and things like that? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you found a, a good spot. Yeah, me too. Thanks. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we mentioned you mentioned briefly um, your blog, which we didn't talk about at first. Uh, he's got a blog, republicbrewpub.blogspot.com. Is that right? Yes. All right. And we've obviously all, we've referred to it a couple of times, we've all uh, read it a bit. And uh, what made you decide to sort of blog about this experience of opening a brew pub? You know, it was kind of twofold. I mean, the, the first thing I wanted to do was just let people know what was going on. And, you know, I was kind of naive and thinking I'd be able to open the place a lot quicker than possible. So I was sort of like, okay, I'll start a web blog and, you know, kind of chart the steps and boom, we're open, sweet, people know about us. Um, but the other <laughs> thing I really wanted to do was was kind of, illustrate the startup process, you know, and sort of be a, a resource for business people. Cause you know, when I started doing this, there, there wasn't a whole lot out there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, in the brewing industry, people are tend to be really nice. You know, you ask them and they'll give you information, but you know, brewers tend to also be kind of space cadets and I'm one of them too, you know? So it's like you ask somebody for something and maybe they'll get back to you. Maybe they won't. <laughs> um, restaurant industry is totally different. You know, restaurant industry, you want it, you want information, you're going to pay for it. You know, the, the National Restaurant Association is like, you know, we'll give you our information out of our cold, dead hands. It's the <laughs> NRA. Um, but, you know, so, so I wanted to have something where somebody in my boat five years from now can look back at this and say, okay, what did this guy do? You know, oh, he did this, did this, did this. Here are some numbers. You know, here are some, you know, things about securities laws and liquor license applications and whatever. Because, you know, it, it, it seems that even on, on breweries starting up, you know, the weblogs are like, hi, we're a brewery, we're going to start up, and then four months later, yep, we're still going, <laughs> and then four months later, here are, you know, two months worth of construction pictures, which is cool to look at, but, you know, it doesn't really tell you anything about how to how to mm-hmm. go about the process, so that's kind of what I was hoping to do. 
cool. you know, and if you go to the weblog, there's actually a, a link on the top right of the page called File Cabinet where, you know, you can download a whole bunch of the files and resources that, that we've put together to kind of help ourselves do this. Huh. So hopefully it's useful to somebody. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. I noticed you had a lot of those things on there. 